So there is a new John 3, 16. Now, I'm not the first one to have said this. Pastor and author Vadi Bachman said this a number of years ago. He made this statement, there is a new John 3, 16. And if I look around, and hopefully we're looking around at a culture that is on the other side of a global pandemic, and if we look around, hopefully we're on the other side of the most divisive election in at least recent history. If we're on the other side of that and we still look around, you may find this to be absolutely true for us today as well. There is a new John 3.16. See, the old John 3.16 was John 3.16. That verse that everyone knew, that verse that was familiar to all, that verse that you saw plastered on homes, in the walls, in churches, uh, in the door frames, all over the place. Sometimes you'd see it in coffee shops. Sometimes you would see it at athletic events, in the stands, John 3.16. See, the old John 3.16 was John 3.16, a verse to which people would point, the verse that that people who didn't even know the Lord would sometimes even uh, put into their own memory and commit it to memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What a great verse to learn particularly for those who are far from Christ, for an unbelieving world to know that verse. But John 3.16 has been replaced. It wasn't replaced by 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. No, that would be a good verse for unbelievers to know. It hasn't been replaced by Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who know God and are called according to his purpose. No, it's not that verse, and it's not been replaced by Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace and not of evil, plans for a hope and for a future. No, it's not that verse. John 3, 16 has been replaced, and none of those texts, none of those verses is what it's been replaced by. My name is Pastor Milo. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. We're going to get to the bottom of this. You're going to need to open our Bibles if we're going to find our way there. So if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to do this week what we do every week. We're going to open God's Word and allow His Word to wash over us. It's, it's light to illuminate the path for us to go forward, to, to shine light into the dark places of our life that need to be addressed and guide us to go forward when we leave that God would give us the path that we should walk. So bring your Bibles each Sunday. Bring something to write on each Sunday. Bring something to write with each Sunday because if we really believe that God is going to speak to us through his word, you're going to want to write it down. So be ready for what he has to say this morning. John 3.16 no longer has the status of John 3.16. The new John 3.16 is really... Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. The old John 3.16, people knew. They knew it as John 3.16. They knew the address of the verse. They they knew it was located. They could find it in a Bible if they had to. The new John 3.16, which is Matthew 7, verse 1, nobody knows that it's Matthew chapter 7, 
verse 1. They just know the principle that is found there in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And they don't hold themselves to it, but they certainly will hold you to it. Hold Christians to this principle. Judge not so that you be not judged. And if you're someone who learned this phrase or learned this Bible verse in the old King James Version, you know it as this, judge not lest you be judged. This is the new John 3.16. And we have the shorthand for John 3.16. The shorthand is quite simply this, don't judge me. Don't judge me. It's the favorite verse of the non-believer. Because they're hoping that once they quote it to you, they will stop you dead in your tracks. You, the Christian, you'll be stopped dead in your tracks. That whatever it is that you're trying to challenge them on or dare to suggest about their lifestyle or how they are doing something that is not pleasing to God, they will say something along the lines of this. Well, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. So don't judge me. This is probably second to the verse, God helps those who help themselves. Which is not in the Bible, by the way. It's kind of against everything that the Bible is about. But I digress. Because actually it's what we've come to believe not only outside of the church, but inside of the church as well. That's our attitude. Don't judge me. In fact, we've often misused this as a baseline for establishing what does genuine love mean look like. We say that genuine love is a love that doesn't judge. We say that genuine love is a love that receives me just as I am. We say that if you are judging me, then you are not loving me, so don't judge me. And while it's true, it is true, it is in the Bible, it does say that in the Bible. In fact, Jesus specifically says that here in his word. So what is it that he is trying to say? What does it mean? Is Jesus saying that we as Christians can never make any judgment, that we can never make any assessment about anyone or anything? Is Jesus suggesting that if we speak truthfully to someone that we're actually doing something wrong? Is Jesus teaching that if we are honest with someone that we are somehow being judgmental? What does it mean for Jesus to say, judge not so that you be not judged. What is this new John 3.16 all about? I went earlier this week to a conference in New York City. So I got on a plane and flew to New York City for about two days. It was a 43-minute flight, wheels up to wheels down, 43 minutes uh, in the air. But it took a whole lot longer than that to go through all the rigmarole of getting on a plane and all those type of things. Uh, But I flew into Newark, New Jersey. And while I was there in Newark, I noticed on the big screen that there were direct flights. United Airlines was the, the whole terminal that I was in. There was direct flights from there in Newark to Tel Aviv, of all places. I didn't know that there would be a direct flight out of Newark. Now, I've never traveled to Israel. It's one of those things on a bucket list that I would like or I hope to be able to do someday. And David Gutzig is a pastor that I like to listen to. It's a podcast that I like to listen to. He's on the West Coast, but he takes his church regularly on tours to Israel. He's even gone uh, during the pandemic. He's been able to take a tour there. And I, I remember him talking to his listeners on a podcast recently about how they would be flying specifically into Tel Aviv. So I saw it on the monitor. I was like, wow, I guess I could go and be on this trip to Tel Aviv to go to Israel. So it caught my attention. 
But he always tells us, as listeners, if, if you're someone who is a reader of God's word, that going on a trip to Israel, going there and being there helps passages, passages like this, just jump off the page and make sense. That, that it's this three-dimensional focus all of a sudden that God's word has when you're kind of there and experience God's word when you're on site and hearing the sounds and all that comes with the location. And so someday, I'd like to be able to go. I'd like to be able to do that. There's a handful of you in here who've actually been able to make that trip, to be able to go to Israel. And it's wonderful. I'm glad that you have. But most of us, the majority of us, have, have never been there. So there's only one thing that we can do is to imagine if we were able to go there. So imagine, imagine you and I got on a 43-minute flight, wheels up to wheels down, and landed ourselves in Newark, New Jersey. And just because we wanted to, we jumped on a plane that was a direct flight to Tel Aviv, Israel. We, we made our way there. I don't know, it's like maybe 12, 13-hour flight. And we, we make our way there. We land in Tel Aviv. And then uh, we would have to hire a taxi or get on a bus or whatever it would be to find our way to drive another four or five hours. And we would reach the Sea of Galilee. We went around the north end, the north side of the Sea of Galilee where Capernaum is. You would be able to see a hillside that slopes up there next to the sea, as I understand it, that this time of year, if we were doing this right now, it's a little bit cooler. And because there are some uh, prevailing rains, there would actually be, uh, be covered in grass this time of year. And you'd see flowers uh, in the landscape. And of course, we don't know the exact spot. We can't say X marks the spot. But this is the general and the approximate place where Jesus sat down before a small crowd there on the side of the mountain and preached a sermon that we now know as the Sermon on the Mount. And up to this point, we've been working through a sermon series here as a church. And as we've been going through it, you've been, you've been seeing that this sermon has been dealing with the things that are going on in the interior life of people. Talking about the things that motivate us, the things that drive us to action. Jesus contrasts the way that people behave with the way that people think. And he starts to get at the, the root issues of the heart. And Jesus is taught on, on how we should give or how we should fast or how we should pray. Things that all have to do with the interior motivation of the follower of Jesus. Be aware, as I share from the text here today, that you will be tempted to tell yourself, man, Susie really needed to be here this morning. She really needed to hear this. Man, I wish that so-and-so was here. It's too bad he's away this weekend. This sermon might really wake him up. Be aware of yourself. Be sure to check your motives. Now, if I look at the camera and you're watching this online a week from now, two weeks from now, if you're listening to our podcast because someone sent you a link and said, this is a podcast, this is an episode that you really need to pay attention, pay attention to, welcome. We're glad that you checked in. But why was it that someone thought you needed to hear today's message? Be careful. Be careful. Because what Jesus is going to do here is he is going to transition from the interior motives that happen within us. And he's going to expand. He starts to look at the exterior way that someone lives their life. What it looks like to pursue the kingdom of God in front of people. 
what it means to be a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. For those who are pursuing the kingdom of God, it's not just about what they are on the inside. It's actually how much and what they look like when they treat other people as well. And that is the context by which Jesus is saying these words, Judge not so that you will be not judged. Let's put it on the screen. Let's read it again. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Don't pass judgment. Don't pass judgment. So if we've got the context in mind that Jesus is not only dealing with what's going on on the inside, but he's also dealing with something so that we are seeing how we are received from those who are viewing us on the outside, we can get at the principle of what's being taught here. And it's going to be the key and the difference between passing, I'm going to kind of lean in on that word, passing judgment or to pass judgment when it's built on self-comparison with someone else. Verse 2 is the key to that where Jesus tells us to be aware of the measuring stick that our lives are going to be compared with. That's the key here when it comes to passing judgment. In just a few verses within this very same sermon, Jesus is going to be talking and teaching about how we measure our lives and the lives of others by using the figure of a tree bearing fruit. And Jesus says, look at the fruit of a person's life and you'll be able to judge, you'll be able to tell, you'll be able to decipher what kind of tree they are. And so even though he tells us not to pass judgment on one another, he's going to require some type of moral assessment in only a few verses. And we'll have to make an evaluation of ourselves and of one another. But what will the measuring stick be? And so I brought for you this morning, as a matter of an illustration, a measuring stick. How many of you remember going to uh, Six Flags? For us, it's Darien Lake. It's just up the 91 exit to Darien Lake. This is a measuring stick. And with this measuring stick, you will be able to know which roller coasters, which rides you're going to be allowed to ride when you go to Darien Lake. Six Flags, Darien Lake. This is a measuring stick. I've painted it this morning, so it makes a real clear illustration, and, and I guess we can practice with this afterwards if you want to know uh, if you're going to be able to ride the rides there at Darien Lake. So the red line is 48 inches. So at 48 inches, you're going to be able to ride a certain number of rides within the park. This is for the big kid rides at the park. This is for rides like the popcorn popper. This is for rides, you like the popcorn popper, don't you? This is for rides like the silver bullet or the scrambler. All of these rides are designed to spin you around in circles and then you run into the bushes and hurl into the bushes. Those are the rides that you can go on if you've reached the 48-inch mark on the measuring stick. But this here, this is the 52-inch mark. The 52-inch mark is the thrill ride at Darien Lake Six Flags. The thrill rides, like the ride of steel. Now that's a ride that I want to go on. The thrill ride, like Blast Off or the Sky Screamer. Even the names sound better, don't they? You want to be on the rides that, that are like that, the Mind Eraser. Now that's something I want to get 52 inches off before I go into and ride a ride like that. Now, if you don't reach any of these marks, the 48-inch mark or the 52-inch 
Mark, here's what you're looking at. Here's the rides that you're going to be going on uh, your day here at Darien Lake. Rides like Chucky's Mud Buckets. Ch Chucky's Mud Buckets or the Raccoon Rally. Or the worst ride that any engineer at an amusement park has ever dreamed up in his whole life. Moose on the Loose. Moose on the Loose. If you're in this zone, your day is in circles on Moose on the Loose. So I remember being the kid. Do you remember being the kid that's standing as tall as you possibly can? You've got a hat on your head that's at least two inches off the top of your head. And you're coming up to the measuring stick, absolutely certain that today is the day. And so for me, I'm wearing a fluorescent orange gym shorts and a pair of cowboy boots because I want to make sure that at least that extra inch and that 17-year-old that's the protector between me and the best 90 seconds of my life has got to stop me and slam the hat down on the top of my head to see if I've actually reached the mark. The measuring stick. Will he let me through? Now clearly, we've all met people. We've all been around people. They don't have a red and white measuring stick standing next to them, but they are looking at the world through eyes that has a measuring stick to see if you measure up to whatever the standard is that they have. It's invisible, you can't see it, but there's always this underlying tone. You must be this tall to ride. And Jesus is absolutely forbidding this type of thinking. That we ourselves can somehow pronounce someone else guilty before God. Or that we have in some way the power to condemn someone else, some other person, from reaching the measuring stick. We are not the ultimate judge. There is only one ultimate judge. James 4.12 says this, There is only one lawgiver and one judge, and the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? When a person says, don't judge me, they're actually saying, you are not the measuring stick. And they are absolutely spot on. You're not the measuring stick. Christ, he is the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. He is the measuring tool. And if you are placing yourself in that role, if you have declared yourself as the measurement tool, then you are out of line. It's the life of Jesus here on earth that we are to be compared to. As I've said other weeks during this series, I have a Bible that the words of Christ are in red. And this section of the Bible is all red. These are the words of Christ as they are coming out. These are the, the words that we are to live by. This is what we are to be compared to. It is His holiness that He has fulfilled the law. And as we discussed a few weeks back, not only has He fulfilled the law, He has raised the bar over and over and over again. And me and my own strength and you in your own strength will never, ever be enough. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. So don't judge. Don't place yourself as a judge over your neighbor. When you are doing that, you are passing judgment on your neighbor. And friends, 
This is something we've got to take seriously. These are the words of Christ. And we do, I think that we can break this command more easily than we believe. To judge not that you be not judged. And we do so when we think the worst in other people. Isn't that easy to do? To think the worst in other people. The awful thing that has been said about this person. You immediately believe it because you've already determined in your heart that you want to think the worst about this person. Friends, this is a command. It is words of Christ in red that we are to be living our lives by. It is coming from the lips of Jesus Christ. We've got to take it seriously. We've got to take this command seriously not to judge. When we speak to others and we condemn others, and we've already assumed that they are guilty before they even began. We also do this by only talking to other people about their faults. When all we see is someone's weaknesses and their flaws. So say you've got a friend, you've got a relative, you've got a neighbor who's got some type of problematic lifestyle. And when it comes to the situation, the morality of the situation is the only thing that you talk to this person about. It's the only conversation that you ever have. Have you ever thought to talk to him about something else? Aren't you glad that the people who love you, aren't you glad that those people don't bring up your faults in every single conversation that you have? Think of this. Think of the three worst things that you've ever done in your whole life. Uh, imagine that you are being judged in light of those three worst things every time that you speak with someone. That those three worst things are what you're being assessed by over and over and over don't we do that to other people? Friends, let's be sure to take this seriously. Don't place yourself as a judge over your neighbor. That is self-righteousness, isn't it? When you do that, you've gone ahead and you've named yourself the judge, the jury, the executioner. And that is not a place for you. You are passing judgment on your neighbor. You have made yourself the measuring stick. How foolish. Jesus actually illustrates it for us here in this passage. He, he, he illustrates the foolishness of this behavior. Let's continue on. Matthew 7 verse 3. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's talk about eye infections here for a moment. Doesn't that sound fun? A common eye infection is pink eye. A common eye infection is pink eye. A common spiritual eye infection is plank eye. Plank eye. And so what we've got is we've got one of these bad boys in our eye. Right? Every time that we interact with somebody, we look at somebody, we've got this plank in our eye. I can't hold it up here quite. I'm going to try. There you go. You've got a plank sticking out of our eye. How absurd this is. And when you've got this plank in your eye and you're trying to talk to somebody and you can't get close and you say this. Oh, you've got a speck. This is a toothpick. So imagine a toothpick in your eye. How uncomfortable that would be. And I'm reaching out and saying, hey, let me help you with that toothpick in your eye. How are you going to deal with that? How absurd that is. 
to walk around with a plank in your eye. And the absurdity of it continues because if you know someone, if you've ever been the person who has an eye infection, that you've got pink eye, it is really annoying. Would you agree? In your eye, you've got this red thing that's bothering you. It's, it's inflicting you. It's, it's created a problem for you because you want to rub your eyes all the time because you have this thing in your eye. And it hurts. You are in pain. And if you pass this on to somebody else, they are also going to be in pain. They're also going to be struggling. It's going to hurt them as well. What would you think about plank eye? Don't you think that this would hurt somebody? Don't you? This is where I really wish that we had 3D cameras uh, to be able to film our services with. Because you could all be wearing 3D glasses and I could go something like, I would go like, don't you wish you didn't have plank eye? And all of you would duck and they would come flying out at your eyes and you would all duck and you go, ah, plank eye! And that would be bad. How absurd. To assume that when you have a plank, a log in your eye, that you're going to reach out and you're going to help somebody else with the thing that's in your eye. Don't get plank eye. Don't get plank eye. See, oftentimes this is true of those who call themselves disciples of Jesus. This is why Jesus is warning us about it right here. This is why he is talking to the believers right here. And he's going saying, look, look at your own life first. Start there. Make sure that you have not made yourself a measuring stick that you're trying to measure the world wide. Because that measuring stick itself is going to be a plank in your eye that's going to keep you from being able to do anything worth while. It's going to be a hindrance to you. It's going to be trouble for you. It's going to be a problem for you. It's going to be uh, something that keeps you from being an effective witness at all. Now Jesus does not imply here that you or I have to live a perfectly sinless life. Because he is the measurement tool. He is the measurement stick. So before you talk to anyone else about your life, do you have to live absolutely sinlessly and perfectly? No. That would be an over-exaggeration of what Jesus is saying here. But I will say this. If my life is filled with sexual compromise, it would be foolish of me to not take that plank out of my eye and try to be correcting in someone else's life the speck in their eye. If I am a gossip and I am a busybody, what right do I have to talk to someone else about how they talked to someone or how they treated someone or what words they used to say something to someone? Shouldn't I get the plank out of my own eye before I deal with the speck that is in their eye? If my life is in financial ruin, what right do I have to talk to someone else about their spending choices? I need to get the plank out of my own eye before I try to deal with a speck that's in someone else's. Jesus is using a very effective tool here to be able to illustrate his point. Now let's continue on. Let's come back here to verse 6. The last verse we're going to cover here today. It says this, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If they do, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn on you and tear you to pieces. Jesus, what are you talking about here? 
What are you saying? What's this all about? How does this connect? And I don't know exactly what the connection is, but it's, I think it's something along these lines. Jesus has just warned us against passing judgment. Jesus has just warned us against blind criticism or blind critique about those around us and other people. But he is not telling us to turn off or to throw away or cast away discernment. There's a place for discernment in our life. There's a place for us to say, I'm not going to take what's of value and throw it out to the dogs. I'm not going to take what is of wealth and of a treasure and throw it out in the pig pen. There's a place for us to consider that as well. So here's what I believe Jesus is saying and how the text is landing for us today. First, don't pass judgment. Don't get pink eye, but do be discerning. Don't pass judgment, don't get pink eye, but do, plank eye, excuse me, but do be discerning. As in all things, Jesus is trying to demonstrate and teach us a balance to be seen here. True discernment, biblical discernment, does in fact actually require judgment calls to be made. It doesn't mean that you have to be judgmental, but it says that discernment, I would argue that discernment is going to require a judgment Call. And there are plenty of areas in Scripture where judgment calls and making a judgment call is clearly expected. Most often it is being framed as being a good steward with the things that God has given us. Being a good steward over all that God has given. Being a good steward with what God has blessed us with as part of the family of God. So if I'm going to be a good steward, if I'm not going to pass judgment, and if, if I'm going to stay away, don't get pink eye. I'm going to be discerning. So don't waste the pearls. Don't waste the pearls. You see, folks, we make judgment calls every day. We wouldn't be able to survive if we didn't do this. What, what time do I have to leave in order to get to work on time this morning? It's a judgment call. I have to judge whether or not we're going to have enough gas to be able to get where we're going. And some of you, including my wife, thinks that you can go a lot farther with no gas than you think than you can. It's a judgment call. She's never run out of gas, by the way. So good for her. We judge whether or not what we are wearing is appropriate to the event that we're going to. I'm all about dressing up for the Bills game. But if you're going to the prom, you probably aren't going to look the same way as you would if you were going to the Bills game. We make a judgment call on those things. We judge whether or not our dentist is a good dentist. We judge whether or not our doctor is a good doctor or a bad doctor. We judge whether this is a good accountant or a bad accountant. We trust, we judge whether or not this is a trustworthy salesman or a not trustworthy Salesmen. We judge every day, meaning that we make judgment calls every single day. We have to. I said at the beginning that there is a new John 3.16. That Matthew 1.7 is a different code that we are expected to live by. A code where we just don't judge anyone. And in that code, we've started to actually believe, we've been told that genuine love is a love that doesn't judge. We've been told and we've been starting to believe that genuine love just receives me exactly the way that I am. We've been told that if you are judging me, then you are not loving me. We've been told that if we make a judgment about your neighbor, that you are not loving your neighbor. 
But if you don't have a judgmental spirit, and if you don't have a hypocritical plank in your eye, you are actually showing discernment in what you say, and you're actually demonstrating love and respect for that person in how you say it. Making a judgment might actually be the most loving thing that you could do for that person, for that neighbor. Don't waste the pearls. Do you know what the pearls are? Do you know what Jesus is talking about here? Do you know the thing that is of the greatest value that you and I need to protect at all costs, that you and I are being told to and taught to steward above all else? It really is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the pearl of truth. Don't waste the pearls. Do you think that it's your job to save people? Do you think it's your responsibility? And I'm going to save this person. I'm going to cram the gospel in their mouth until they take it. Is that your responsibility? Thank you very much. Don't waste the pearls. You have the treasured hope of the universe in your hands. Don't waste the pearls. Share the truth. Share it in love. But God's the one who's going to do the saving. God's the one who's going to do the work. Why? Because God is the one who is the measuring stick. You are not. Don't waste the pearls. You're only responsible for sharing them where they need to be shared. If you're here this morning and you haven't been given the pearls of the gospel, I need to be sure to be able to share that with you here. Or if they were crammed down your throat in a way that was too hard to digest, I'm sorry. Because we as the church have done that far too many times. But the gospel needs to be shared in a way for what it is, the treasure of the universe, the pearls that it is. This is the gospel. And it's, you know what, it's, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about having a relationship with him. That's the pearl of truth. That's the gospel. And so as our band comes forward this morning, you need to hear this, that in the end, it's not about how much money you have. It's not about how much attention you can gather. It's not about how many hits you can get on your YouTube channel or how much power you wield from your corner office. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. That's the measurement tool. Maybe you've spent your whole life to this point. You've spent your whole life searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for answers, trying to fill that hole deep down inside of you, trying to cover up the emptiness that you feel when there's no one else around, trying to cover the nothingness you feel when it's just you and the creator, the maker of the universe. Friend, here's the pearl that is of greatest value. Wholeness can be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you and for me so that you could have a relationship with him. So that you could have access to and connection with the Holy Father, the Holy God, the one who spun the stars into, into space. So that you could be a part, so that you could be called the children of God. 
and to enter into relationship with him, you don't have to do anything except accept the gift of God that he has offered you. The good gift from the heavenly Father. He's already done all the work and all you need to do is ask him and receive the gift that he has offered. And so if you are here today, if you are about to begin this journey today with every head bowed, with every eye closed, would you pray this prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way for me. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for every mistake that I've ever made. I believe in you. I want to pursue you with all that I am for the rest of my life. I am yours in Jesus' name. For those of you who are here this morning and you know that you have been the one walking around with an invisible measuring stick. Pray this prayer with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. Lord, when you gave your life for me, you erased the need for anything but you. And when I am a person who judges others, I am placing myself in a seat of authority that is not rightfully mine, and I am sorry. Please forgive me for that. Lord, please restore me unto yourself that I can leave here cleansed that I can leave here pure and holy because I'm wrapped in your loving arms. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.